Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can open your word and hear not only is the story of Jesus told whom we trust, but also we have the power of your spirit opening these things up and making these things real to us. Father, we ask and pray that you would please be with us now. We pray that you would help our hearts, Father, and our minds to grasp these things, to love you, and to gain great strength and courage and conviction and in a sense of just the wonder and majesty of you and of your son who is at your right hand right now. Help us, we pray. Give us grace. Give us strength. Teach us, we pray. Build us up, we ask. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Life comes to us in ebbs and flows. There's good times, and then there's difficult times. There's seasons of peace, and then there's seasons of challenge. There's, uh, there's times in which we, we have uh, just a, a, a calm kind of normalcy about life. And then there's a time when crisis comes or difficulty comes and such. And, and, and life is like that. And it's in, in, in all of life, but especially in the difficult times, the crises times, the challenging times, we really need Jesus to be real to us. We need to really experience the power and reality of Jesus in our life. We need him in our life. It goes, at that point, crisis, difficulty, trial, it goes well beyond just a theology about Jesus. It goes well beyond even just believing that the Bible is the word of God, which we do. But Jesus needs to be real. We need him there. We need his help. We need this to work for us, okay? And that's really important, especially, like I said, when the challenges come. When a challenge comes, it comes like a, a, a giant into your life, a challenge, a difficulty, a trial. It could be disease. It could be, it could be depression. It could be issues in family. It could be whatever, but the challenges come. And they're big and they're scary and they're intimidating. And at that point, we need Jesus to come alongside us. We need Jesus to be bigger than that giant. And Jesus, to come. we need Jesus, I need you, I need you to be real. And every single Christian gets to times in their life when you and Jesus need to be very real with each other. He needs to be very real to you. You need him. You need his person. You need his strength. You need his grace in your life. And you're leaning on it and you're hoping in it and you're trusting in it. Now, difficulties are giants. But now let's think of a giant, ugly, vicious monster. And that's death. And when death comes into your life and is approaching you, then Jesus... Jesus, I, I, I need you right now. Jesus, please, I need you. I need you to be here right now. You need to have, and Jesus, you need to have, a, I need to have a very real relationship with him. Very real, very practically dynamic, a real thing. Just like I have Jan in my life, and I have my kids and my grandkids in my life, and I have friends in my life. I need Jesus in my life. He needs to be real. And to that end, dear friends, we need to, in, especially in calm times, we need to, when we read our Bible, we sometimes need to just say, is, ask ourselves this question. Do I believe this? Do I believe this is true? 
Do I believe this really happened? And I want us to ask that question today. We're going to read the story of Jesus' transfiguration. And I want us to ask the question, did this really happen? And I'll, I'll tell you why I'm asking this. Because if you ask that question and you wrestle with this stuff in the Bible, is this thing real? Like, don't just, when you read your Bible, don't just read it to get good religious feelings out of it. You, you, we should read it with a sober-mindedness, a, a, a sharpness, even a toughness about us. Say, wait a minute, is this real? Did this really happen? Can I stake my soul on this? Can I stake my life on it? i got a challenge facing me. i got a giant. Or I've got this monster, death, breathing at me. Is this real? That's, that's the way we should approach Scripture. Now, we're going to join three men today, Peter, James, and John. We're going to join them up on this mountain. Now, these guys, did they think this was real? Did they think that what we're just about to read about here really actually happened? Jesus transfigured, was transfigured into, into his glory. Moses and Elijah was there. God shows up. Did they think that was real? Well, turn with me to 2 Peter and listen to what Peter writes. Peter writes this in 2 Peter, years after the original transfiguration. Jesus, Peter writes this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we re he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter believes it's true. This happened. This is real. And this is, and dear friends, I'm convinced this is true and this is real. This has happened. But I want us to look at this and I want us to look at this with faith and I want us to look at this soberly and say, what does this all mean? How is this going to fit into me? So what we're going to study today is Matthew chapter 17. But there's a context here. Of course, the context is Matthew 16. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? We say that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is, and Jesus then goes on to say, well, listen, that's true. And now I need to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to rise the third day. And then Jesus says this. And now I want to say to you this. You want to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross. You want to follow me, you have to be totally committed to this and, and such. You need to follow me. Then look at verse 27. Because he says that you should follow him, even if it means the whole you lose the whole world. Verse 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his works. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again, coming in his glory, and Jesus says. And so in light of what I'm saying, that all of the commitment and all of the sacrifice you make for me, picking up your cross, is going to pay off. Then look at verse 28. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, if that verse was just hanging there, we actually would be able to, we would actually have a real problem on our hands because we would say, wait a minute, that didn't happen. If we were thinking that Jesus was referring to his second coming, we would say, wait a minute, that didn't happen. 
But that's not what Jesus was referring to. Jesus, in that, and unfortunately, the way the Bibles are laid out, it has a big chapter break here. When Matthew wrote it, there was no big chapter break here. The thing just kept going. And that verse is in, in all three of what's called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the, the gospels that all kind of follow the same theme and follow the same sort of structure. John takes a theological look at things. It's, it's different. But all three of those, of those uh, gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they give the story of the transfiguration, this is the verse that precedes it. This is the verse, because that's what Jesus was referring to. So in verse 28, Jesus is saying this, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here, and in fact, it's Peter, James, and John, who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, until they see kingdom power, until they see the glory of my kingdom, until they get a foretaste of what's to come. And then we go to verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. See, these, these pastors are hung together. Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Verse 2. And he was transfigured before them. Transfigured before them. Now, you might say, well, what, what does that mean, transfigured? Well, you know what actually would be easier right now? And you'll get it just like that. And that is, I just need to give you the Greek word for what transfigured is. And here's the Greek word for transfigured that is used here. Metamorpheo. Metamorpheo. And of course, that brings you back to fifth grade science. And that brings you back to metamorphosis. And that brings you back to a caterpillar then becoming a butterfly. Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis means a change of form. A change of form. And so the caterpillar is squirming there on, on the ground. And then it goes up into the milkweed plant or whatever. And then forms the cocoon. And then out of that springs a butterfly. It's the exact same creature. There's not two creatures. It's the exact same creature. But it's a change of form. It's a metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. And that's the word that's used here. It literally says in the Bible, and he metamorphized before them. He transformed his form before them. And then it's described. Look at how it's described. Verse 2. His face shone like the sun. See, we read our Bibles too quickly sometimes. Stop and think about that. His face shone not bright. His face glowed. No, that's not what it says. His face shone like the sun. In other words... You couldn't stare at his face. You couldn't look at his face more than a second and a half or your retinas would be burnt. Just go out sometime. Well, don't actually do this. But if you go out and you look at the sun, that's why when there's eclipses, they always say, don't look at the sun, don't look at the sun. If you actually do try to look at the sun, it's going to hurt your eyes very quickly and you're going to shut your eyes. And when you shut your eyes, still impressed upon your retinas, you're going to see the sun there in your eyes. The sun, and if you continue to stare at the sun and look at the sun, it's going to literally fry your retinas and blind you. He, Jesus' face was this bright and this brilliant that they actually couldn't actually look at his face because it was shining like the sun. It made it impossible to look at. It's this brilliance. And what this is showing us is this. It is showing us the glory of heaven. Now think about this. Us earthlings, us people of the dust, of the, uh, uh, and, and as, us sons of Adam, who live in this universe the only thing that, that heaven 
can use, the only thing that God can use to describe and show us something of his glory is the sun, is the brightness of the sun in the sky. That's the closest we understand and we know the glory of heaven. And here, this, his face was shining like the glory of the sun. It was shining so bright. And then notice this, his clothes became white as the light. His clothes itself were brilliantly shining, bright, white light. Now, this is the glory of Christ. We're getting a, a little foretaste, a little trans, uh, just a, a little look at the glory of Christ. It just bursts through for a period of time, the glory of Christ. Now, again, look at 1627. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father. Well, this is a foretaste of that glory. This is that glory that Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come back again, and his face is going to shine like the sun. His face is, he's going to glow like the sun. We're going to see him in all of his glory. And not only that, this is the glory that he had before he came to earth. In John 17, 5, it says this, And now, Father, Jesus is praying. And he says, And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is glorious, and in his glory, we're seeing it here. And he had this glory, and he gave this glory up. He, 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 he left, as it were, the glory of heaven, and he, he, his glory then is, is veiled in flesh. That We sing a hymn at Christmas time, veiled in flesh, the Godhead seed. His glory is veiled in flesh. And he takes on human flesh. He laid aside this glory, as it were. He did not consider equality with God something to grasp after. But he gave this up and he dwelt among us and he humbly became a human being. And he took on our human nature, the nature of Adam. And he took on our sin and he took on our death to win the victory. But this glory was just below the surface. Just below the surface, the glory of him. And so he goes up on this mountain. And he allows his glory to bring to shine through for these three men to see. And then notice what happens next. It says, verse 3, and behold. By the way, I love those beholds. You know I do. They're in the Bible. Good English translations translate them. And behold, this word behold means it's, it's, a, it's a literary device that says, look, look. This is special. Look. And that's what it means. When you ever read behold, you're going to see that in the scriptures. That's what that means. And behold, look. Moses and Elijah appeared to him with uh, to them, talking with them. Now, there's a ton of mystery in this passage. How did they know that was Moses and Elijah? Were they overhearing the conversation that was going on? The Bible tells us, the other gospels tell us that Moses and Elijah were also uh, there in glory, and their glorified bodies, as it were, they were in glory. And uh, in Luke tells us that they're discussing Jesus's departure from Jerusalem. And Luke uses an interesting word, exodus. He, the exodus from Jesus from Jerusalem and his death and his resurrection. They were discussing this. They were talking about this. But there's a lot of mystery here. But here we have two men, two great men, Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the great prophet. We have these two great men who are there discussing something with Jesus while, it's, while they're all glowing with glory, heavenly glory. J.C. Ryle at this point comments and says this, there is no such thing as annihilation. He says, all that have fallen asleep in Christ will be found in safe keeping. I really like that line, by the way. All that have fallen asleep in Christ will be found in safe keeping. Patriarchs, prophets, apostles, martyrs, down to the humblest servant of God in our own day. 
Though unseen to us, they all live to God. He is not the God of the dead, but God of the living, Luke 20, 20 says. Their spirits live as surely as we live ourselves and will appear hereafter in glorified bodies as surely as Moses and Elijah and in the mount. These are indeed solemn thoughts. There is a resurrection. And men like Felix may well tremble. There is a resurrection. And men like Paul will do well rejoice. And so we have these two men coming down from heaven, visiting with Jesus, talking with him. And then we have, look at the next verse, we have a really dumb statement made. A really dumb statement made. And that's out of the mouth of Peter. Verse 4. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three, here three tabernacles, and here a better translation because tabernacle seems very religious in this. The word means tent. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, dear friends, this is really a dumb statement. It really is. It's, it's meant to be dumb. Like, you know, it, he didn't mean it to be dumb, but it's being reported to us that Peter said something really dumb right now. Because think about it. Here are these glorified beings shining like the sun. And Peter says, by the way, let me make some tents for you. Now, number one, how's Peter going to make tents up there in the mountain? Well, he's going to take some sticks and some tree branches and put them together for these glorified beings to sleep in. Here, 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 Moses. Here's your, maybe he's going to throw a cloak over. Peter, you give me your, I'll take my cloak, John. You take your cloak and we'll put some sticks together here and we'll tie them with shoestrings or whatever and we'll put these and put some branches on it and we'll put glorified beings in there. This is stupid. The whole thing is stupid. But you know what's interesting? Well, first of all, why did he say this? He said it because he's scared out of his wits. That's why he said it. In fact, Mark tells us that. In Mark 9, 6, it says this. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. He was terrified. He was scared out of his wits. And he was so scared that he said stupid stuff. Now, I want to tell you, I'm really glad Peter did this. This actually helps me a lot. Remember I started it by saying to you, is this real? Is this real? Well, I want to tell you something. I'm a skeptic until I'm proved. You've got to prove things to me. This actually helps me, and I'll tell you why. I have read Muslim uh, religious literature. I have read Hindu religious literature. I have read Roman Catholic Life of Saints. I have read Eastern Orthodox Life of Saints. And whenever you read these, what literally comes down to religious fantasy li literature... It's all the same, whether it's Islam, whether it's uh, uh, Hinduism, whether it's Roman Catholic, whether it's um, Eastern Orthodox. I've read them. When you read them, all of their holy people are so holy, and they seem to just rise above humanity, and they never do something really dumb. Peter, on the other hand, is a dummy right here. He's scared after death. He's losing his wits. And he says something stupid. And it gets recorded. And you know what that does to me? This has the ring of reality. This has the ring of being true. This has the ring of an eyewitness account that a guy got so scared, he said something stupid. Now, let's go on, though. Now, at this point, what do we have? At this point, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's shining. 
And then we have Moses and Elijah shining with sort of a, a, a resurrection glory with them, a, a resurrected body, glorified body there with them. We have three glorified beings there and three guys who are scared out of their wits, okay? And they're on the ground trying to shield their eyes. But then things even ramp up more. And notice what happens next. Peter's saying his dumb question, and while he's saying his dumb, his dumb statement, verse 5. Oh, by the way, before I read verse 5, I want to tell you, here, my beloved New King James Version, let me down a little bit, because there's only one behold there. If you have the New King James, you see one behold there. But in the original Greek language, there's two. And the New King James usually does a good job of the, the, the beholds, but they kind of blew it here, okay? And so there's some, some Bibles that do, that are accurate enough to really do it. And the one of them is the old King James Version. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them to put that up on the board right now. Matthew uh, 17, 5, in the old King James. Now, now notice you'll see the two beholds here. And I asked Amy to kind of make them big. And they're there jumping out at you. And so we'll read this in the King James Version. It says, while he yet spake, that's how Peter was speaking. Behold, look. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, look, look, check this out. That's what he's saying, a voice out of the cloud. So I'm going to use the two beholds. Keep that up for a little bit. I'm going to use the two beholds here as sort of an outline of this verse. Now, notice what happens. While, this, while Peter is speaking, notice first what happens. Behold, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Now, let's be very careful about the language here. A bright cloud cloud overshadowed them. Now, if you're a hiker or a backpacker or something, you probably had this experience where you have gotten into a high altitude. Dave was just talking about 7,000 feet. That's super high. You, you get up to a high altitude, and while you were up in that altitude, up in that mountain, camping or backpacking, a cl the, the cloud coverage came down low. Now, if anybody saw you were up there, and, and if they knew, hey, these guys are camping up there, oh my, look what happened, this cloud came, it would look like we were camping up there in a white cloud. That's what it would look like from the ground. But for those of you who have experienced this, that's not what it looks like when you're up there camping. It looks like darkness has covered you, and it's usually misty, and the sun gets blanked out, and things get dark. That is not what's happening here. Not at all. Get that completely out of your mind, because the Bible is very specific here. It says that they were overshadowed by a bright cloud, by light. By light, it was almost like the sun came down on it. And all of a sudden, this mountain didn't get dark. It glowed. It glowed. A powerful, powerful light came. A scary light came. A terrifying light came. And they were suddenly absorbed in, and, and brilliancy was all around them, frightfully all around them. And, and such, what was this? What was this? This was the un created eternal light. This was God the Father drawing near to this mountain. Right? And it just as Moses went on the mountain and his face glowed, this is God the Father drawing near to this mountain. And at this point, this is why I had Daniel read Exodus 20. At this point, those, little, uh, those, those Jewish men who were face down upon the ground in fright, they suddenly realized what's going on here. Moses is here. We're on a mountain. God has just showed up. The light is here. The light has come. And it's a frightful light. It's an amazing light. It's a glorious light. It's a dangerous light. 
Have you ever, you understand dangerous light. You understand dangerous light. If you've ever been somewhere where something sparked, pow, it was like, whoa, whoa, that was scary. That was scary. Lightning, lightning comes, it's scary. We had a huge lightning storm uh, the other night and it was, my, my roof felt like it was gonna blow off my house. And, and that lightning is scary. That's, that's scary, dangerous light. Even fireworks and, and that can be scary, dangerous lights. Like you back off because it's scary and dangerous. This is light that is overshadowed here and it's divine majesty. It's intimidating. It's threatening. It's dangerous. It's powerful. To use the old English language, it's awful, full of awe and wonder. And yet it's glorious and it's beautiful. It's scary. It's real. It's the felt presence of God. It's unnerving. It's earth shattering. It's mind blowing. And here he is. God the Father has shown up upon this, upon this mountain. And then notice the next behold. And behold, the cloud spoke. The cloud spoke. And notice what it says. The voice of God speaks out. The very voice that called creation into existence, that called the stars and the planted and the galaxies into existence, that voice speaks on this mountain. And listen to what the voice of God says. The voice of God speaks. And notice what it says in verse 5. This is my beloved son. First of all, You've got three glorified beings shining right now, but one of them is very different. You have two mere mortals, human beings, Moses and Elijah. This one is my son, the glorious son of God. Hebrews 1.3 describes him like this, who is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. This is my son. That's Moses, human being. That's Elijah, human being. This is my son, fully human, and yet fully, my God, fully God. He is, he, he is the word who was in the beginning with God and who was God. This one is my son. He is the word made flesh. He is my divine, eternal son. And notice what he says next. He is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. Dear friends, how do we even describe what that means? How do we describe infinite love? How do we describe infinite anything? An infinite line starts here and goes that way forever and ever and ever and never ends. An infinite plane, uh, two-dimensional plane goes, goes this way and this way forever and ever and this way and this way forever and ever and ever and never ends. A dimensional cube, an infinite cube goes this way forever and ever, this way forever and ever and this way forever and ever and that way forever and ever and ever, never again. That's what infinite is. How do you describe infinite, eternal love? And that's what's being described here. This is my beloved son. This is the son that I have infinitely, forever, eternally have loved. This is him, my special, delighted son. And, 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 and he is one of infinite beauty and glory and, and majesty and greatness. I love this son. I love this son. This is my son. Here he's describing a delight, a God delight. This is the son I delight in. This is the son I joy in. 
This is the son I'm, I'm bonded to. This is the son I treasure. This is the son who's everything to me in one sense, he could say. And see, dear friends, there's a miracle. We, we've been seeing a miracle going on around this church. You know, she's one right there. There's one right there. Uh, we've been seeing this miracle going on. There's one right there. They're everywhere. They're everywhere, these miracles. And what are they? They're the miracle of, do you ever notice this miracle, this transformation that takes place when a baby is born? The transformation, it, it just, it, to me, it, it's just beautiful. It takes my breath away. The transformation when a baby is born, especially the first one. It's amazing when the first one is born. I'll tell you why. Because you got two really hip and cool people, man. The, the girls are chick, man. They're good looking. They're all dressed up. They're sharp. You know, nothing gets on them. They're dressed to the max. The guys are all hip and cool and do their thing. They got their hobbies. They got their fun thing. They're hip and cool. And then all of a sudden, this little, loud, smelly thing comes into their life. And they're absolutely transformed. They're mesmerized. Their, their hearts are completely wrapped up. They only want to talk about one thing. They die for this being. They give anything for it. And all of a sudden, they're just different people. And what is this? What is this miracle? What is this that's going on here? Well, this is one of the ways that God has chosen to reveal to us something that we couldn't understand or grasp any other way. And that is this eternal relationship that he has with God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son. This is my beloved son. I am united to him. I am, I, am, I am connected to him. I am fully invested in him. I absolutely delight in him. My happiness is tied up in him. He is my, he is my son. That is how God is revealing. God didn't have a son. He's eternally begotten. And yet, the, it uses this language to help us to grasp and to understand. And then notice what he goes on to say. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I delight in this son. I delight in him. I delight in just being with him and in his fellowship and in his being and in his person. It, it, in a sense, as, as a parent, you say, sometimes, I, 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 you know, as a parent, you, you'd like to just even watch them sleep. You just watch them sleep and you delight. They just look so beautiful. You just sit there and you delight him. And God is saying, I delight in my son. I just delight in him. I, 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 I'm well pleased with him. He, 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 he thrills me in, 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 in every way. That's what God is saying here. And not only that, but the Bible even says, Jesus says, I lay down my life. My father loves me because I lay down my life. Here, Jesus' willingness to leave his throne, Jesus' willingness to walk among, Jesus' willingness to take on humanity, Jesus' willingness to give up all of this heavenly glory and become a fetus, and become a born infant with afterbirth all over him, and to, and to be laid in a manger, in a horse trough, feeding trough, and to, and to be a little, a little toddler running around, and to be a teenager, and to be a young man, and to be a, a builder in the building trades for 10 or 15 years, and then to lay down his life as the plan of redemption. God says, I delight in this son. I delight in this son. And then notice the last thing God says. Look at the verse. Verse 5. Hear him. Hear him. Listen to him. 
Listen to him. This is, this is wild, really, when you think about it. This is amazing. God, the Father, comes to earth and says, I ain't going to say anything. He'll talk for me. What he says, I say. Listen to him. That's my son. So part of this is like, you know what? I really encourage you, listen to him. Part of this is a command, listen to him. Part of this is a threat, listen to him or you're in trouble. <laughs> this is serious because look, again, jump up to 1627. The son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels and then he will re reward each one according to his works. You're all gonna stand before him, God is saying. You better listen to him. You better listen to him. You know, people keep throwing around this phrase, keep throwing around this phrase, be on the right side of history, be on the right side of history, be on the right side of history. And there's only one true answer to that statement, be on Jesus' side. And you're on the right side of history because he's the one who's going to judge. He is the very son of God. Listen to him. Verse six, and the disciples heard it. They fell on their faces and they were greatly afraid. Here they are once again, scared to death. They heard the voice of God. Will we even survive this? And they do. In fact, look at verse seven. Maybe they passed out. I don't know. But look at verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them. Their faces are buried in the sand. They're, they're trembling. They've, they've lost it here. They've lost it. Jesus touches them. Hey, 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 guys. Hey, guys. Rise up. And don't be afraid. Calm down. You survived. Yes, God the Father was here. Yes, you saw my glory. But come on, get up, get up, dust yourself off, calm down. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And now as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And that word vision doesn't mean, it's not the word that means kind of like this fantasy picture you saw. This wasn't real. It just came to you as a vision. No, the word actually means... Don't say what you actually saw with your eyes. That's what the word means, what you saw with your eyes. So, dear friends, let's apply this to ourselves. Let's apply this to ourselves. Once again, did this really happen? Well, for Peter, James, and John, they're absolutely convinced that it was happening. Peter already told us that he saw it, this was happening, and they were willing to risk their lives for it. This was real, dear friends. This really happened. Jesus really glowed. If you would have been there, you would have felt the heat and the radiance of his glory. God came. God the Father spoke. This is history. This is true. This happened. You can trust this. You can, this should be a deep, settled conviction in our minds and hearts. This is what happened. And then start drawing out the implications of that. Do you have a loved one who's died and gone to be with Christ? Do you have a loved one in glory? <laughs> they look like Moses and Elijah did in this thing right now. They're glowing with a heavenly glory in which you would have a hard time continuing to stare at them as much as you'd want to see them. You'd be like, whoa, whoa. That's why Moses had to veil himself. Your loved ones are in glory. Now, now, now difference, that's not some kind of fantasy wish. 
That's not wishful thinking. It's based on the fact that in that mountain, in Palestine, in, the, in Israel, in that mountain, Jesus stood and he glowed and those other guys glowed and this was real, this is history, this is fact, this is happening, this is real. But dear friends, also, we have the hope of this glory as well. See, this is the reason why Jesus was able to say, Pick up your cross daily, be willing to die daily, follow me, be my disciple, endure to the end. Don't try to save yourself in this world, give that up and, 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 and you will be blessed. You see, dear friends, this is why we're to endure to the end because this glory is before us and this glory is coming and this glory is to be ours. This glory is to be ours. In Romans chapter eight and verse 17, Paul writes this. If children, if we are children, children of God, then heirs, Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now look at that verse. Go back. Um, Look at that verse. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You see this suffering part that's in there? That's where Jesus was getting at by saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, Love me more than you love yourself. Be radically committed and dedicated to me. Hang on to me. Stay, stay with me. Keep following me. And whenever they make fun of you because you're following me, whenever it becomes unpopular to follow me, whenever it becomes dangerous to follow me, whenever you could be, lose things for following me, whenever you could lose your life for following me, don't let go. Keep following me. Follow me to the cross. Follow me to death. Follow me. Stay with me. Follow me, and glory will follow you. Glory will come. We will be glorified together. And this is what Jesus is saying. And this is why the the transfiguration appears right now after Jesus laid out this massively difficult scale of discipleship that we're to follow. But then look at the next verse. Paul says, for I consider... He says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Dear friends, if you could go to heaven right now, if we could all go to heaven right now and we could interview our loved ones and others who've gone before us and we could ask them this question, was it worth it? What you went through on the earth, was it worth it to to every single individual? Their answer, I think, would be very easy. They wouldn't even say a word. I don't even think they'd even need to say a word. I would think all they would need to do is say to us, look, look, look at him. Look at his glory, stand here and feel his glory, experience his glory, and look around. Look at the glory of this place, and look. Look at the glory that we have shared. We're glorified with him. Look at the glory. How could you ask me if this is worth it? I don't even compare. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not even worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Oh, dear ones, be strong in your faith. Be strong in your faith. 
Get behind your master Jesus and follow him. No matter what this stupid world thinks, you follow him. This world's in rebellion against him. You follow him. Follow him to his cross. Follow him in his cause. Follow him to his kingdom. Follow him in his gospel. Follow him in his glory. Make Christ your life and be determined to follow him because this is real and this real glory is really coming. And no matter how much you suffer now, no matter how much people make fun of you, no matter how much they reject you, no matter how much they feel like you don't fit in, no matter how much they try to silence you and counsel you, no matter, uh, cancel you, no matter how much, it's going to be so worth it. Get to that glory. See that glory. And then I fear that maybe there's some here who don't believe, who don't believe, and you're going to perish. You're going to perish. And when Jesus comes in his glory, you're going to be rejected. Why? Because this never really was real to you. It never really was real. You never really believed. You never really committed. You never really bowed down. You never really came to Jesus and said, I'm yours. I trust you. I believe in you. I'm yours. I, I accept you as my Lord and, I, and I, I follow you as my master and savior. I'm all in, Lord Jesus. I'm all, you've never done that. You're, 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 not, you're not committing. You're holding him off. You're trying to walk in two worlds. And he's coming again and he will have none of that. He will have none of that. And so I want to urge you, do it now. Do it now. Trust in Jesus. Forsake the world. Forsake your sins. Come to him. Get real with him. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. I trust you. I trust you. I follow you. I bow before you. I proclaim you my Lord and my Savior. I accept your grace and mercy. I'm in. May God give you grace. May nobody in this room, may nobody listening perish. May you have everlasting life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, if we could just see you now in your glory. I know we see through faith. We see you glorified. We know that you are high and lifted up. You are once again enthroned on high. You are once again the worship and praise of angels. The saints who have gone on before us are, are admiring your glory and your presence. They're looking upon your glory. They're reflecting back your glory. And they could care less about the silly stuff that just mesmerizes us now. What's on the news? What's popular? Who's a celebrity? That stuff means absolutely nothing to them. For they see your glory. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us by faith to see your glory. Help us by faith to believe these things that you say are true. Father, help us to love your son and to hear him, to listen to him, to follow him. Thank you so much that you loved us so much, Father, that you sent us him, your beloved. Thank you. What a privilege it is that we are, are his. What a privilege. Thank you. We praise you. In your present, in your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.